the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue, the lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. Welcome to Castle Side, guys. This is your host, Jamil Shivji. In today's episode, you may know our guest as Juanita Solis in the hit show Desperate Housewives or from the many projects she has written and produced, such as The Imbalancing Act and Subject 16. And in the studio with us today is... Madison Delagarza! <laughs> it me! What's up? <laughs> Madison and I have been friends seven, six, five years, one of those. Seven, I think it's been, I think it's been five. Um, <laughs> so you came to LA when mm-hmm. you were around six years old, right? Like six and a half. Around yeah. About the same time that my sister was moving out for a job and opportunity. Dallas, so it just kind of... Demi. Demi. Okay, okay. And so, so your whole family. Yeah. It okay. just kind of worked like we all just kind of met up. I think Demi was on tour and I was like, I, we were moving and we were living in an apartment. And so she was on tour and I was living in this apartment and our families were separated. And then we came together and like started our life in LA. It was really, yeah, that's, it was nice. That's cute. That's it was cute. Really that's, a, that's a nice story. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, so you started acting at a really young age. I started mm-hmm. when I was 13, which is... Still young. Still young, but it's like a little more mature. Right. Yeah. Right. So you got Desperate Housewives when you were seven as Juanita mm-hmm. Solis. You were a series regular. That was on ABC. Yeah. Right. So I started on Nickelodeon. Since Nickelodeon's more of like a kids-oriented network. So right. They were Very used different. to working with kids. Yeah. And the stereotypes for child actors are so negative, especially on an adult-dominated set. Right. Did that ever come in the way? Did they ever not take you seriously? I was worried about that, I think, a little bit at first. I was worried, especially because, I mean, this show had been up and running and successful for four years at this point, yeah. and I was... They hadn't had a lot of series regulars that were kids at that point. A lot of people who watched Desperate Housewives would probably be confused when I said <laughs> that, but I don't think they had a lot of, like, child-oriented yeah, storylines, like, like and a it wasn't around... set, you know? Right. Like, it wasn't um, made for children. Right, and... Yeah. um. And, you know, my Gabby's storyline, she didn't have any kids yet. So when they did the jump, we all knew that there was like a big shift happening. And I was worried that I don't know that I wasn't going to fit in or I wasn't going to know what to do. Because it was also my first acting job ever. I got lucky and then I burned out. But, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> I, like I can't. Hey, I mean, it like, the- it, that's, so much is expected from a seven-year-old. Especially in the industry, you know, because they're expected to act like an adult. Yeah. How does any child handle that and come out of it with like a career in acting with longevity? Right. They don't want if right. they've had so much pressure put on them at such a young age. Right. And I mean, in my case too, I loved storytelling. I loved visual telling, storytelling and I loved um, writing stories and things like that. And to me, that always just looked like acting. And so I loved acting and I still love acting, but it wasn't until I got a little bit older and until after I got off the show that I realized there's other avenues for me and there's other there's you don't have to if you want to be in the industry you don't have to be have to be an actor and or or you don't have to just be an actor yeah one thing I noticed was that since you started at such a young age you were in the industry before social media so you were still in the industry when the transition from no social media to social media happened yeah you bring up a really interesting point because I think I always thought I had a very interesting relationship with social media and something that was like I had a social media account I had a Twitter account when I was six a lot of people think that was it run by your parents crazy my yeah no my parents were any pretty much anytime I was on the computer tweeting anything my parents would you know they were were with me yeah yeah, and regulating it but I it didn't 
you know, I had, there were computers in the house, there were phones in the yeah. house, I had access to of the course, internet, and I was going to go look at, you know, look at tweets yeah, when... and you're a kid. You right, know? you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm playing computer games, and, like, I was like, you know, let me just open up this Twitter real quick, and mm-hmm. I, I w- had my eyes open to this really interesting world of social media at a young age, but then even, even after that, I kind of watched it transform mm. like i love okay like youtube for example i was i loved michelle franc i watched all these different youtubers make this you know the beginning of like what it means to have content Followers. and like yeah. yeah and a following yeah. on youtube and like i watched it go from makeup tutorials to then like beauty con well i mean we all did everyone in this generation kind of watched the media and entertainment and what it means to make content yeah we watched that change like i it's such a double-edged sword this is my Mm -hmm. thing with social media before you get into the industry social media i loved social media it was Mm -hmm. so fun to use you're peeking into people's lives and it's entertaining right but when you when you get older and when you're in the industry it almost feels like a job. Absolutely. Right? I, there, I have a lot of friends who get anxious if they don't post because they have they're going to lose followers to uphold. Yeah. And they're like, I lose I, likes and it's, yeah. it's wor- It's like losing a job now in the entertainment industry. Social media is so important. Mm-hmm. I have lost roles because I do not have enough followers. On oh social media. my God. You ha- I've been in, I can't, I've screen tested for pilots and casting directors straight up ask people in the room, which one of you has the most followers. Yeah. It's crazy. It sucks that we have to think that way too. And like, I've also been on the other side of things. I've been on the casting side. I've casted some things and I've produced some things. And you also have to think when you're trying to get funding for a movie, when you're trying to produce something and when you're trying to put a lookbook together and when you're trying to get the budget and everything to take to these investors, they are going to want at least one name, one person with a name attached to it. And it's like, it, and it, it kind of translates to followers. It makes sense. You know what it, I mean? It, it does just... make sense. It's just when you look at the industry years ago and how that was never a thing. And, how and it happened so quickly. So quickly. Mm-hmm. Literally like that. Like when Snapchat and Instagram got really popular, that's when it happened. So for those of you who don't know, Madison is quite a screenwriter. I do dabble. <laughs> and I wanted to talk to you about the Imbalancing Act. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Imbalancing Act is a short film that Madison wrote and shot which is really shining a light on mental health awareness. That's, first thing that's that, my girl. Yeah. First thing, <laughs> first thing that you wrote that came out Yeah. Uh, to the public. I wanted to, Because I went to the premiere of it, and it was amazing. Thanks um, for coming, by the way. Yes. <laughs> it was great. Did you write it with the purpose that you wanted to have a conversation start? Yes, actually, that was exactly the idea. The reason that how it all... I mean, I've, I've, I had written a lot of stuff. I had, I had actually already pitched... Oh, a pilot okay. to Disney yeah. that didn't get greenlit. Um, yeah. It was not... I think you'll know what I mean by, by what I... It wasn't Disney enough. Yeah, yeah. It, wasn't Disney um, enough. it exactly was Disney, but it just wasn't... It was, the concept was yeah. a little too out of the box. Mm-hmm. I was 14. And I was in a very, like, I don't know what direction I want to go in place in my life. I wasn't expecting much to come out of it, but I was like... It's your first pitch. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And it went really well, and I was like, oh, awesome. this might, you know, you be my jam. I was, yeah, I was pretty, surprisingly, see, I, like, I, everyone knows this, hello, hashtag and balancing act, I have really bad anxiety, <laughs> I have really bad anxiety, yeah. um, and so every time I've gone into the Disney building or done any kind of audition or anything, I hate that building. <laughs> um, no, I hate the building, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's iconic, and it's that's so why it's 
terrifying because you know that you're looking at the faces of I feel like a lot of people aren't going to understand this, but for those who've been in the building, you know, like you're looking at all of the faces of the like, kings like and queens of Disney that came before you, the and they're staring down, the and they're staring down at you, like, don't you want to be one of us? You're, you'll never be as good as us. Don't you want to be as good? At, do you don't you want to be up here with us? And it's the most terrifying thing. And then like everyone, I everyone at the Disney building is so sweet. Every time you go in there, I would expect such a huge company to have like to be very serious and like very corporate and you know and be really about the business but everyone in the building is so it's so warm but yeah no that's when I was like oh shoot I think I want to be a writer um that's amazing and I remember when you would write in class so back to the imbalancing (laughs) act it won the LA short film festival congratulations thank you um nominee at the all-american high school film festival that was crazy we went to new york and we didn't know we were nominated until we were in line for the step and repeat we just wanted to like see who won the awards and stuff and then we were in line for the step it was me and logan who directed it logan vins i always say i say that we're gonna be like the next generation's female duffer brothers i mean do it i'll support you thank you i realized that i was very lucky to be cast in a show as a chubby okay, girl don't say who that. was Hispanic. No. I was, no, no, okay? No, no, not about the chubby part. Don't, like, you're... <laughs> don't, like, in terms of child acting, people have this perception that we're all lucky to be on TV. Yeah. That we're all lucky to do... That we did this naturally. That it just came to us like this. Yeah. No. We all worked for this. Yeah. All the adults in the industry, a majority of them think that, Oh, you're just, you know, you're naturally talented. Like, all these kids are naturally talented. No, we have, like, acting coaches. We go to acting right. classes. We work at this craft because we love it. Right. I mean, and not, and not only that, like, I think it's something that people really don't think of is, not to be dramatic, but the trauma that comes yeah. with being in the spotlight, especially at a young age. Yeah, which is what I wanted to get out with you. Because right. I was not in the spotlight. You, however, Miss mm-hmm. Juanita Solis. <laughs> You must have been totally in the spotlight at such a young age. What were the sort of restrictions? Yeah, I think it was very, it's like, it changed me in weird little ways. I think that I didn't like really notice. And of of course, I'm so thankful for the acting opportunity because it was never, I think out of, you know, I could have worked a thousand days on that show and maybe one of one out of a thousand days was not fun. And, but that's not to say that there weren't things that I went through as a kid that not normal kids would have to go through on a set or in the public eye that just made things a little bit different. You know, like, I like, for example, our hiatus was only a month. Most kids usually get like three months for summer. And I got a month, a month and a half. I never went to camp. Right. I never, I never went, I could never go to any kind of sleepaway camp. Um, my entire, like I had to go home during the summer. Yeah. Um, back to Texas because I couldn't go any other time of the year except Christmas. And there were some times where I'd have to fly home on Christmas Eve because we didn't get off work until and like you were the 23rd. That young. Yeah. And it yeah. just like, and but it was all I ever knew. And it wasn't, it, I didn't really think much of it other than like, oh, wish I could go home today, but I have to wait <laughs> another day. You know, like other than right, that, it didn't right. really phase me. Right. Yeah. And then there were like, I couldn't go to my school field trip because I had to work on that day or whatever and it was just like and I know what you mean because I kept battling this uh, past year about like screenwriting acting screenwriting acting Mm -hmm. I picked both 
because you can, you know? There's yeah, nothing, exactly. There's nothing wrong with having two passions that you love equally, mm-hmm. right? So I was very conflicted if I should do this screenwriting thing at USC. Do I want to do this and then like miss an opportunity in acting? I like stepped back from it and I was like, okay, you have acted all summer in previous summers, okay? You've never been to camp, a camp like that, a camp yeah. situation, you know, living in dorms, having that feel. And so I did it and yeah. I did both. And that was the best decision I ever made. Yeah. You know, because I've written about that summer now, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's in my brain. It's like, it's, it's an experience that's solidified with me. Right. And I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about being a screenwriter too, is yeah. that you can do literally anything and be like, I'm working. Um, so you were in the spotlight really young, right? Right. So your sisters were also in the spotlight. Yeah. So how did that work? It, it, it's interesting because we were all doing our own thing most of the time. Like Demi would be going to work on Sunny with a Chance um, at 7.30 and I would have to get up to go work on Desperate. And so we were always really kind of doing our own thing and then we'd get home after work and you know we'd be tired or I would have to do schoolwork or things. She was homeschooled. Um, no, we had we did go to events together. There was, I, there was this one little event where... Um, Demi and I both won an award and like paparazzi paparazzi followed Dallas and my mom to my school one day thinking that it was Demi. Yeah. And so they showed up. Yeah. I was in elementary school and they showed up and they like, it was, it was just, it was ridiculous. Like they showed up and I, they didn't want me to walk outside until they like had them leave. And then we had to get one of the dads who was like, being security that day had to tell them like i'm gonna call the police on you guys like, like <laughs> how do you even get them away like do you just say this is a school yeah i just said it's a school and yeah. well, you know this, most you know. of the time they don't leave but i think since it was a school and there are <laughs> children yeah yeah that's so it wasn't even demi <laughs> um yeah. well that's a crazy upbringing yeah you know is that part weird. of the reason why you not quit acting but took a break yeah, I think, well, I definitely, right after Desperate Housewives ended, I told my mom and dad, I don't want to act for a year. I want to go on, and they brought the idea up to me, like, okay. hey, if you want to have a year to just be a kid, we're totally fine with that, and then we'll pick things back up or whatever. Um, and I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, I really like that idea, I want to be a kid, and I want to, like, I wanted my three-month-long summer, and exactly. I wanted my school exactly. field trips. And so I experienced that for a year and I had that freedom and it was really fun. Back to like imbalancing acting. Yeah. I really relate to you on this mm-hmm. because mental illness and depression and all of that is such a real thing that happens, should not be ignored in society. Absolutely. Which it has for too long. And I think shows that revolve around these mental illnesses the people say they're starting a conversation, but now people are taking that line as like a grain of salt. They're like, oh yeah, we get it. They're starting a conversation. Yeah. No, but listen, because they're starting a conversation that will echo throughout society and change perceptions of everyone. Right. It'll become accepted. Right. You know? Right. And people who have these mental illnesses won't feel alone. Yeah, and I think the conversation is also really delicate too. Like I've seen... I've seen a couple shows and things... (laughs) (laughs) i've seen a lot i've seen a lot of shows and sometimes even people like try to claim this platform or you know this idea of raising awareness for mental health um just because a character who is in it experiences 
depression or suicidal thoughts. Like they don't present it in the healthiest way always yeah. or one that is like, I'm tr- I'm tiptoeing. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. But um, don't worry about it. it. You recognize that it could be unhealthy for people to experience the mental health awareness in the mainstream media in a certain way. Right. right? I think that there are some shows that have tried to fall under, have tried to use this mask of I'm raising awareness when in reality they're using certain things to thicken the plot, to make it, you know, to make it a little more shocking, to make it so much that, that more dramatic. If you're going to scream mental illness and mental health awareness, use the word depression. Right. You know, like you say the words and if someone, (laughs) now it's going to be pretty clear what I'm talking about, but if some like 13 reasons why. Yeah. You watched the show. I did watch it. Right. You, uh, it was I entertaining. Have yeah. Okay. I do have, I mean, I didn't watch the second season. Okay. Um, I heard that it, there was a little bit more of awareness being. Yeah. In that last episode, can I, do you mind if I spoil it? No, I don't mean, I don't care. Okay. Spoilers. Uh, he got raped. Mm-hmm. And it was, honestly, so f- my thing with 13 Reasons Why is, I wouldn't say that it's a show that's purely for starting the conversation. And I don't think it should be marketed that way. I say that it's a show that has great writing, mm-hmm. great acting, mm-hmm. great fiction. Yeah. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a fiction. And I think that what happened, I think this was last year, when someone actually did send out tapes and kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, don't quote me on that, but um, I did. I think I did hear that yeah. in the story as well. I'm, I mean, I'm I think sure. that that's so unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But how do you stop that? Right. You know what I mean? Because I, it is a show, and that brings me back to like the screenwriter's prerogative. You know, mm-hmm. where's the line right. for screenwriters? Yeah. And 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 it's honestly, should it even be the screenwriter's job to do that? Should it be the networks? Right, and I think that brings back to the conversation about trigger warnings. Yeah. And whose responsibility is that to include the trigger warnings? How often should they? How often should they have to be included? Are they? You know, like some of them were when I watched the show. There were trigger warnings before the, the episode, episode, the rape scene. Yeah. However, in the very next episode there were many flashbacks to the rape scene okay and there was not one trigger warning and so that was the i think that was the issue that a lot of people had is why if you're gonna give a trigger warning and if you're gonna if you're gonna go that route which um it's good they did a little bit right but then you have to go full through yeah it's like because it's a genuinely like whose responsibility was it to put the trigger warnings in and then why did that slip through and it just makes me think like what's the priority i guess i love i loved 13 reasons why Mm -hmm. um i thought it was a really good show i thought it was very entertaining it was very entertaining was phenomenal i personally don't have uh mental health issues so Mm -hmm. i could i i didn't need the trigger warnings but i have friends who would need the trigger warnings and etc like it didn't affect me in that way but 
you know that. And what's interesting is I read the book that it's. Oh, based you did. Off of. Yes, I before read it the show? years ago. Really? Yeah, like two or maybe three years before yeah. the show came out, and I loved the. I don't know if it was because I was younger, but I loved the book. I in my head, you know, the way that I was thinking, this girl is really struggling with mental illness. She's mm. very, very depressed, and yeah. it was very clear. Yeah. And whatever was going on in her life like you know whatever the way that people were treating her whatever yeah. was happening it was only making it harder for her to deal with her mental illness and that's how that's how I saw it yeah um but I think it's that message might have been lost in translation a little bit when it w hit the screen I think it's to me it seemed like the idea of pushing awareness for mental illness came as a bit of an afterthought and I could be totally wrong, but to me, it it seemed it's something like that the marketing team came up with later. Either that, or people were upset because of the lack of trigger warnings. They were upset because any narrative in which the main character commits suicide and then gets what they want. I mean, because that's we have to be honest. Her goal right. in committing suicide was getting the tapes to everyone and yeah. making them feel guilty. Yeah. And making them realize what they did was wrong. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. Right. And yes, it, horrible things happen. These people's lives are ruined. And she ends up, you know, passed away. Yeah. And she's gone. And it doesn't change anything. But there is an entire se season, two seasons, <laughs> of what happens after this girl passes away. Yeah. So anyone who is already vulnerable to thoughts of suicide hoping to cling on to a character that they can relate to yeah anyone who watches that yeah they're gonna i yes. they're gonna romanticize the pot yes. they're only gonna yes. see the positive and so in that situation you should be removing all of the positive yes i know i know what you're getting at yeah i i know, I know what you're getting at <laughs> because she was dead throughout the show mm -hmm. and they show how it happened yeah and in a way they justified it that all these things happened to her it so felt like that a little bit. Yeah. She had to commit suicide, which of course she didn't. And I know that they put the number for the suicide hotline at the end and a trigger warning. But, you know, it's just, I've been meaning to talk about this with someone who's a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. Where are the lines, you know? Because a screenwriter wrote this and Netflix picked it up. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it was very transactional. Like when you wrote Imbalancing Act mm -hmm. and you aimed to spread mental awareness. Yeah. Um, that was your goal throughout, yeah. right? Did part of you want to go the route of drama and make it more spicy? Absolutely, in a way? yeah. We we were thinking of a couple different ideas, um, and if we of course we thought, let's you know let's show self harm. Of course that popped yeah. into our minds. Yeah. Let's include a suicide attempt. Like yeah. of course we thought about that, but our goal was to spread awareness, and it wasn't to entertain. Right we thought it was unnecessary, especially because it was a school. It was a student film. We thought it was so... Yeah, because your school produced it? Yeah, I, yeah. It was, like, well, it was I was made... actually, I was wondering, what was the relation? Yeah, it was <laughs> actually made, the idea started as we, our school, our student council was making a global and local project. Okay. Um, to, we just had to come up with some kind of awareness project or some kind of charity project and we were they were like what's something you're passionate about and what's something you like to do and i was like well i'm passionate about mental health why mental health i think well it was just something that i was most 
passionate about. It really bothers me when they use depressed as an emotion. Like, oh, you look so depressed, or oh, I'm, or oh my god, I'm, I'm so, I'm like so depressed right now because the, my, this show ended or something like that. And it's it's interesting because uh, like, I was. It doesn't seem like that much, but it's it, words are so freaking powerful in yeah. our society and our yeah. language, and it really, really changes the way we view things. And if we use yeah. it so nonchalantly, any person with um, who's struggling with mental illness, their struggle will be yeah. seen as nonchalant. What's up, Cast Aside gang? This is Jamil interrupting to say that this episode is proudly sponsored by Mellow, a startup that is trying to make mindfulness more effortless and accessible through personalized aromatherapy. Check them out at mellowaroma.com or on Instagram at mellowaroma. Here on Cast Aside, I like to give 100% of our sponsorship money to the charity of my guest choosing. So this week, Madison De La Garza has chosen to donate the proceeds to the National Alliance on Mental Health Illness. The National Alliance on Mental Health Illness, otherwise known as NAMI, is the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to building better lives for the millions of Americans affected by mental illness. All right, guys, back to the episode. The reason I focus this podcast specifically on the entertainment industry is because what I found is every industry needs more women, equality, diversity, change stereotypes, all these things, mental health awareness, everything. But the entertainment industry is the only industry that affects all walks of life. Yeah. You know what I mean? TV, Netflix, like all these things affects everyone. Mm-hmm. That's just why it's so important that the entertainment industry gets it right first. Yeah. Because, it'll, it, because if the entertainment industry gets it right, then those will be the stereotypes. The stereotype will be like, oh, wow, men and women are equal. You know, that will be the new stereotype. Mm-hmm. And that'll trickle into every part of society. Mm-hmm. What you see on what you see on TV as you grow up is such a huge part of what you believe and what you think. Of course. Like, I, I, I mean, I remember just growing up and thinking I won't have as many opportunities because I don't see myself on TV. And it's not even just an exactly. acting. But I didn't see any overweight cheerleaders i didn't see any hispanic characters especially overweight characters you don't see them unless their entire plot and their whole character is based around them or how funny it is that they look that way or pretty after their big transformation like which also the show um insatiable thank you because body image in our society, especially with the importance of social media, it's becoming more important to be skinny or thick, but a certain kind of thick. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Oh, like, absolutely. Thick basically means curvy. Right. You know what I mean? Right. For women specifically. Right. And I I was talking to this I was talking to this guy once. I hope he doesn't listen to this. But <laughs> I was talking to this guy once and he showed me a picture of this girl and he was like, Look, she's getting thick. And she I mean she had a beautiful body, but she was thin. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, but she just wasn't thick. And I just thought in my head, that's so interesting. Like, I personally think that, like, I would describe myself as thick. Like, maybe thick with two Ks, you know? But, like, <laughs> like <laughs> which is maybe. It depends on the day. No, but, but he, and he was like, oh, well, well, what do you think is thick? And I was like, well, not that. <laughs> like, what if that, because if that's thick... What is skinny then? Exactly. And it it just, and it makes me think like, 
where are these different like clearly that idea is based off of what he's seen the most in right. the world and right. because the internet and our phone screens are just as in our front of our face as the rest of the world well more so more so often <laughs> yeah. with us that's just how it is it's, you're gonna think that that's how the world needs to be and that's how exactly. it's supposed to be and even with men and body image are two topics that is never talked about they have to be a certain body type yeah and men don't feel like they can express their feelings right that's why i love the wet ad <laughs> very disheartened to see that people didn't like it because i thought that that ad had a, a good chance of really bridging some gaps yeah and i thought that it was disappointing that people didn't like it be it because well i mean the reason that i brought it up is because men do have higher rates of suicide and it's because we live in, in a society where they are silenced and it's and like they, they are, have to be this cookie cutter man right who's expected and even for women like they're expected to be super feminine women right and then men are supposed to be they're both supposed silenced to be, in yeah. different ways and it all comes back to this blue and pink pile of yeah. Yeah. that we call <laughs> Jen. It is. Like, it's just, I, I wrote a short film about it. I just was wondering, like, what would a kid be like if they didn't have, if they grew up without a concept? That's like, so interesting. I'm, I'm working on It's called Charlie's Concept. I've been showing the script around, seeing if anyone likes it, because it's different. Um, no, it is interesting. Uh, on TV, like, or movies, you're either the heartthrob, the nerd, or the jock. Mm -hmm. That Those were the three categories yeah either or you can't be both that's just not a thing yeah. you and know? you know when you become an actor you know which one you will fit the best and you stick to that exactly and, and you don't go exactly. leave that box because you know that you don't have as good of a chance at booking it so. exactly it's like it's it's all about agents and managers as especially for child actors need to pigeonhole you into mm -hmm. one category and i think that's bogus yeah i think that's complete bogus because the way they audition you should not be based on right if they automatically look at you and they look at you before you even audition and they're like you're not the part that's ridiculous it's a it's a very hard industry to be in i've talked to my therapist about it a lot so she yeah. can talk about how fame can create trauma and it's true yeah. and uh she we were talking she said something how like acting I mean, it's a very dim way of putting it, but acting, it's basically asking for to just get rejected over and over. And that's what it feels like, especially yeah. because you know, like, you can go in and be like, I know I'm a talented actor. Yeah. And you I can know kill the audition. Good. And yeah, and you can, you can do everything you're, you're supposed to do. Exactly. Right? And they will flat out tell you, oh, well, the person we casted for the mom has a little bit lighter hair, so we had to go with the other girl. Exactly. And it makes you think like if my hair was a little bit if my hair was a if I change this if I change this about myself thinner, if I was a little bit I've had yeah. I've been turned away from roles because I wasn't big enough. I strongly believe that racism specifically racist stereotyping is extremely prevalent in the entertainment industry today Absolutely. and people don't talk about it because Absolutely. it's more hidden. Yeah. And I think I will never forget the moment where things kind of changed for me where I decided that even if I did continue acting, I didn't just want to be an actress. Right. I just had this bad feeling and I didn't want to go to this audition. And it was, it was one of those that was like, um, 
also all ethnicities welcome and you know once you, once you've been in this industry for that long and you've gotten enough of those emails you know it means it's okay to submit someone who isn't white exactly that's what all it means exactly. right. it shouldn't be the standard right and it and really it is. is and it, it is. really is and it's 2019 exactly and people are and pe- people don't realize yeah caucasian is the standard in the industry absolutely on all levels so much so to the point where they have to clarify <laughs> yeah. if it is okay to send a person of color in which is, is ridiculous because because it should all be based on your acting yeah it should all be based on if you're a good actor that's why for grace anatomy they did colorblind casting and shonda rhimes was the first one of the first to do that mm-hmm. and so that's why Grey's Anatomy has such good actors and of all ethnicities going on its 15th season it's doing amazingly and yeah. what I hate most is when when they cast an ethnicity they're they can get a grant of money yeah. they can when they cast someone who's not Caucasian they can get money mm-hmm. and that's not that should not be an incentive I don't think I don't think that should be an incentive I think I think that it says so much that people in the industry have to be paid Right. to include people of color in their right. films. Like, and I, oh, wait, so, okay, so I completely forgot I was telling a story. I went to this audition that said, like, please submit all right. ethnicities. And the character was a nerd. Yeah. The character was very nerdy, very smart. Right. Like, all A's was like a perfectionist, basically. And I just, like, didn't want to go to this audition. And I had a bad feeling. I saw that it said, please submit all, the, all ethnicities. And... Almost every single audition I get is like that. Absolutely. Me too. And yeah. My experience has been when I get those emails, I show up and it's full of, like, the room is full of people of color, but they're all different. As- really? So it's very clear to me. Like, and it'll be like a an ethnic role, yeah. quote unquote. She, she's, she's doing air quotes. But, <laughs> yeah. But it'll be, or it'll say, you know, like suggest what kind of race they want it to be. But just audition all of these people of color, and it, it, it's very obvious that they don't care yeah. what who it is, mm-hmm. as long as they have the token minority character. Yeah, and yes. that is very it. upsetting. But I, I walked into this audition, and it was for a perfectionist, very smart character. And I walked in, and every single girl, excluding me, was of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. And like I said, there were, you know, there were people of different races and ethnicities, but it was, they were all from the same area and of the world. And to the point where someone who is ignorant of those things would assume that they were, Um, they all had the same look that, yeah, like it was just clear what they were trying to accomplish. And it never said, it didn't say yeah. In the character breakdown, anything about what race they needed to be. Yeah. But when these, when these agencies, when these managers, when when you know they when these when they when they got the breakdown. Yeah. And they read that character breakdown. Right. Their first thought was to send out their girl of Asian descent. Yeah. And that and it, of course no one's it's like it's a cycle why it's going to keep going. Yeah, the question is and why I can't is that a norm? It, how it's still happening. Yeah. And no one is like Yeah. Maybe we don't have to do the same thing over and over again especially exactly. because it's recycling a r- racist system. Yeah. 
that is extremely outdated. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I, I remember sitting in the audition. I wanted to leave. I think I like threw the audition because I was so upset. And I was just thinking like, I don't want to be complicit in this. Right. I love like, acting, but I, I need don't to be do something associate. else right. to, if I can do anything to change this, yeah. then I will. And that's when I started That's exactly why I started for, writing yeah. too. Because I wanted to break these stereotypes yeah these stereotypes that hurt people and that actually yes they they is the entertainment industry doesn't realize and i think they're starting to realize Mm -hmm. that they affect people's lives from the get-go right when they're out of the womb people are watching tv now they have ipads and everything and as a whole like i can't my favorite i think i'm most excited to study when i get to college is how media and the entertainment industry or not the industry but yeah. how media and television and film influences our culture and, oh, and our society because because our society is so wired now especially with our phones and everything absolutely that there's a screen everywhere you look yeah and on that screen is something about a movie or a tv show mm-hmm. or some influencer or something that some is ad yeah <laughs> some ad some commercial yeah. yeah exactly we're coming down from a serious note yeah and which should be serious should be taken seriously absolutely Let's end with a game. Let's do something fun. Yeah. I'm ready. So I made up a little game. <clears throat> Don't have a name for it yet, but let's keep going. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to give Madison one of her characters that she's done in the past. For example, Juanita Solis on Desperate Housewives. I love that. <laughs> and she, I'm going to give her a situation. It's a little improv game. And she's going to say a line that comes to her Juanita mind. What 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 would she do in this situation? 17 year old oh, Juanita. 17 year old? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So as Juanita Solis and Desperate Housewives. Okay. If your mom yes. was like you're going to military school, Juanita, what would she say? Good one, mom. Like honestly, that's funny. But remember how you're not actually my mom? Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> I think that's what she would say because she yeah. like I feel like she definitely like they they worked through it they they went to therapy and they worked <laughs> through the whole like she's not her mom thing but she hold she definitely holds it over her head like all the time she's like Juanita clean your room and she's like you're not my real mom like I totally could see Juanita doing that. okay two as Kelsey on Bad Teacher yeah. you just got kicked out of safety patrol but I think she'd just be like okay. Okay, Miss Davis, thank you. And then she'd come up, and then she'd come the next morning and be like, I'm ready for safety patrol. And she'd be like, I kicked you out. And she'd be like, okay, sorry. And then she'd come back the next day and be like, I'm ready. <laughs> she'd be like, oh Kelsey. my God, that's so facts. <laughs> Three, Sophia on Subject 16. Subject 16, for those of you who don't know, is a short film, an excellent short film, a sci-fi short film that Madison wrote and produced, am I right? Mm -hmm. She executive produced it, and she starred in it as Sophia. Sophia has a choice. She can volunteer her tribute, or she can help James take down President Snow. Okay. What would she do, and how would she go about doing it? This is such a good question. I don't want to make so good. Oh my god. Um. Okay. I think it would be a. I think it would be a little bit like the 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 Hunger Games and how it is because I think she would 
volunteer she would probably be a little bit like you know complicit in what's happening yeah but the second her eyes are opened yeah like by james yeah slash pita she'd be like okay let's she'd go this. ham she'd go ham mm. ham like Sick. when she she's like she's a lone wolf sometimes i in my head i pretend that Sophia, Sophia was lying. Well, yeah. But sometimes I pretend that Sophia was lying the whole time and she just like killed James in the end. <laughs> also, face planted on the set of Subject Six. Like, I sprained my ankle. I had what? to get it popped back in the. Because there was fog machine juice. Like, what? it was a fog machine and it was leaking. Condensation was like leaking out. And so I slipped. I was. I had to run in to the room behind James and it's like I'm sobbing in the scene and it's just like. It's the highest oh, tension. Of, mm -hmm, it's the highest like tension scene of the whole thing and i'm i he walks in and he hits his mark and he's like staring forward at this and i was supposed to like come in right behind him and stand behind him and i'm like what are you doing and so i just picture the shot and it's just him staring at this thing he comes in and he hits his mark and it's perfect and i come in right behind him and i slip and i just oh my face God. plant like in front of everyone and james doesn't even know because he can't see me because <laughs> he's facing away from me so he's like saying his line and i'm like on, on the floor, floor. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny brett comes over to me and he's like i did i guess he yelled cut but i don't i, don't, I didn't hear i don't remember i don't really i don't remember exactly what happened but i remember he came over to me and he was like are you okay and i was like and because we were like so in the scene and I was like, I was like, just roll again. Just, and then I had to do running scenes. I had a scene where I had to run like six times after that. And my ankle looked, I like ran like a crazy person. And it was so funny. You can, I think you can, you can see. I'm going to go scene. back and watch. Please go back and watch it because I'm running like, it's embarrassing. And James is like six, four. So his Jesus. legs are already so much longer than mine. And well, so you're already really tall. Thank you. Like, well, he's he his. I'm already tall, and his one step is like two of my steps. <laughs> so he's like in front of me, Look and I'm this. trying to run after him. And then my ankle's broken, and I'm shorter than him. And then it's just like it was just bad. But I don't know. We made it work. So glad you had a great time filming Subject Sixteen. No, <laughs> no, it was that was that was it got a little bit hard. It was also really cold. I was gonna ask, did you guys build your set? It was there. We came up with the story and the script and the timeline based off of the set. Oh, wait, that's which was really cool. That's really cool. We've never Yeah, we were wow. super lucky in that yeah. in that sense that cuz Brett was like, "Look, I have a stage. I think you'll really like it. I know you like sci-fi. Um, <laughs> let's check it out. Let me show you the pictures." And yeah. I saw the pictures and I was like, "I want to film here. This is it." Yeah. And then so we came and then we actually when like we had our like brainstorming session, the first one, we did it and we were like in the writer's room mm -hmm. on the set. Wow. Oh that and has got to be inspiring. It was so That has got dope. to be amazing. It was wow. it was it was one of it was such a great experience, especially because it was so it's like all sciencey and stuff. So we were like really in the in it. But oh, let the let the listeners know where they can find Subject Sixteen. Yeah, she's on Plug. YouTube. Um, just Subject Sixteen. Cool. My films are on my my channel. Let's see. <laughs> see ya. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. The lips, the teeth, the tip of the tongue. Catch me every other Monday at twelve on castasidepodcast.com. Peace out.